0: Welcome to the Arate Podcast. My name is Richard Triggs and today's guest is Jeff Harley, Chair at Queensland Urban Utilities, Chair at BDO Australia and Consultant at Clayton Utes. Same. It's wonderful to have you along on the Arate Podcast today and I'm really looking forward to bringing this conversation with Jeff Harley to you. He has a great reputation as one of the leading chairs in the Brisbane board community, and he's certainly got an interesting background, having worked as a lawyer with Clayton Youths for many years, but also at the same time pursuing his passion for music, and in particular, playing piano. But before I introduce Jeff to you formally, let me briefly introduce myself, for those people who are new to the Arate podcast. My name is Richard Triggs and I'm the managing partner of Arate Executive. And we recruit CEOs, senior leaders and non-executive directors for our clients throughout Australia. So if you have any vacancies that we can assist you with, I'd welcome the opportunity to have a chat to you about that. Let me now introduce to you, Jeff Harley. Jeff Harley has worked at Clayton Utes for over 40 years, including two periods as managing partner. He exited his partnership in 2006 to pursue a board career and has worked with organizations serving on their board, including being chair at CS Energy, a member of the board at Brisbane Marketing, also Queensland Rail and Rollins, and currently chair at Queensland Urban Utilities and Chair at BDO in Australia. Sit back and enjoy this conversation with Jeff Harley. Well, Jeff, welcome to the Arratake podcast. It's uh, great to have you along here today. Uh, I suppose for the benefits of getting the conversation started, why don't you talk to us a little bit about your current range of professional responsibilities?
1: Okay, Richard. Uh, I'm a consultant at Clayton Utes, which doesn't take up a great deal of time these days. Right. I retired as managing partner there 10 years ago. I've been a consultant uh, since on a part time basis. Um, I have got two chair roles one is obviously QUU, the other is BDO, Chartered <coughs> Accountants. Uh, I'm almost at the end of a three year term at BDO. I've done four years at QUU and the Shareholders recently reappointed me for another three year term.
0: Okay, great. And so uh,
1: for people who aren't
0: really familiar with uh, uh, the uh, legal space, what does it mean to be a consultant back to the firm?
1: It means you're, uh, well in my case, um, to some degree, keeping up with a few old key clients. Um, Sometimes I'm a point a point of contact for inquiries about who do I go and talk to in Clayton Utes about this and that? Um, but probably more more uh, being consulted along with a couple of other people who, like me, have retired, um, talking to the uh, current managing partner about where the business is going, okay. where the law is going, uh, okay. how the market is, and all of that sort of thing. So I guess you know, providing a bit of advice from time to time when required.
0: Mm-hmm. So Jeff. Uh What's the decision process for somebody who's been a partner in the firm to then uh, exit and consult back to the business?
1: Well, there are probably two types of consultants. There are people, uh, we've got a number here, who've had very successful careers and retired at around about what you'd call a normal retiring age, but continue to work. Maybe three days, sometimes some cases five days. Actually, doing the same sort of work as they used to do, but okay. without the responsibilities of being a partner. Uh-huh. But I'd been managing partner for two terms, three and a half years in the nineties, and then six years from two thousand, and I was pretty much off the tools during that time. So when when my six years expired, I, I didn't want to go back to doing legal work. Right. So uh, I was sort of given a. Well, I probably wrote my own job description as to what I was going to do for the firm, which was a lot more hands on back then Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of developing clients, keeping in touch with government, keeping in touch with clients, the market, uh, mentoring partners, all of those Mm -hmm. sort of things. Mm
0: -hmm. And at the same time, uh, going out and starting to build a portfolio career in terms of your various board responsibilities.
1: Yeah, well I'd been chairman of CS Energy back in the mid-90s, that was through uh, a three year term. And when I retired from the partnership here in 2006, um, I guess I had some expectation that I might do board roles, but I was surprised actually by the, the sort of offers that came in, so I had a couple of good uh, good roles fairly quickly. So that's continued, well, uh, yeah that's continued. So. I've- I've continued those sorts of roles.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Well, I'm keen to uh, certainly talk more about that a bit later in this yeah. conversation. But why don't we go back to uh, your early life, Jeff, and tell us a little bit about where you were born and you know uh, and growing
1: up. Uh, I was born in Murarrie, Richard. My father was a school teacher there. Uh, I was the youngest by a long way of three boys. Uh-huh. Uh, went to uh, went to school in Murarrie, the boys state high school. Uh, Was fortunate enough to get a Commonwealth scholarship to go to uni to study law. Okay. In the days when the law faculty, or the law year, probably our year, sat around the library table at the law school, there were probably about 21 of us, I think. Right. I think 20, some people came along later on, I think 25 graduated uh, when I did, including. Quentin Strong, the former Governor, Quentin Bryce, the former Governor-General.
0: Okay, mm. and do you remember when you first started to become passionate about uh, law as a career? Was it when you were in high school?
1: No, it was just an option uh, that somebody said, you know, you probably suited for something like that. It was something I frankly never thought about. Right. Uh, but I did enjoy the study and once I got out into the workforce, I really enjoyed it.
0: Uh-huh, and out of interest, what did your two older brothers uh, end up doing with their careers?
1: The oldest uh, was a was a surveyor and spent his whole life uh, doing land surveys. The, the middle brother did a degree in surveying and uh, became head of the surveying school at UQ and then later uh, professor of photogrammetry at London University. All oh, right,
0: okay. And so, so uh, your father must have been quite proud to see his uh, three boys uh, have uh, interesting and professional careers.
1: I'm sure he was, and my mother too. Sure,
0: mm. and so. Uh, yeah, down to uh, Brisbane, completed your uh, qualifications, and, and from there, what happened?
1: Um, well, you yeah, had in those days one had to do articles. At that stage, it was three years, so I did three years full time at uni, then three years articles with a one man firm, one partner firm. Um, then uh, got a job, got admitted to practice, got a job with uh, uh, another smaller firm or small smallish firm as a litigator. I think I worked there for two years. My wife and I were married. I'd always wanted to go overseas. So we set off for what was going to be a five-year odyssey. Right. And, uh, first port of call was Canada. So we spent about a year in Canada. OK. I worked as an insurance claims investigator in Vancouver and then right. in Ottawa. And my wife, uh, who was a nurse, um, did sort of uh, uh, some some nursing work over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we found we were expecting a baby, so uh, we, we quickly uh, spent some time seeing Europe and parts of Europe and then came back to Australia.
0: So the five year odyssey was uh, five years cut it short. a bit over a year. <laughs> yeah. mm. It's but, interesting uh, because uh, I was born in Canada, and we, my father was an academic, my mother was a nurse, and they were in Canada for two years, uh, but it was just too cold, so uh, we yeah. headed to Australia from there. And so um, back and then uh, into. Uh, what was then to become Clayton Utes at the time, or yeah right
1: well, one of the two, one of the two predecessor firms of Clayton Utes uh, yeah, a strong commercial firm uh, headed by Sir Leon Trout who lots and lots of people wouldn 't know, but there 'd still be plenty of people around who did. He was a bit of a powerhouse in the uh, business and legal world
0: right. Hmm. And, uh, and how big was the firm at that point?
1: Oh, look, when I came, it was probably 25 people altogether, about four partners. Right. So uh, I, uh, I always wanted to practice in litigation, and uh, they had one litigation partner and thought they could use another, so I came in as a solicitor, but uh, I think they offered me a partnership after about... Uh, Probably 15 months something like that okay yeah.
0: and at that time, if you looked across the, uh, the firms operating in Brisbane, would they have been a very small firm or one of the, the uh, more established firms
1: I think you'd, you'd probably call them a second-tier firm uh, and uh, but a commercial firm rather than a general practice certainly had some good very good commercial clients. Um, well connected I suppose you'd say, mm-hmm. but yeah second tier, not, not, mm-hmm. not one of the majors. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, and so uh, and you've been here almost 40 years? Uh,
1: 1970. Oh
0: 1970. Yeah. So okay. So, May 1970. Right. Yeah. Wow. So uh, we've seen uh, some amazing changes in the firm, in the industry, in Brisbane, in uh, a whole uh, a uh, variety of arenas, I imagine, of commerce here in Queensland.
1: Yeah, well I think people blithely accept these days that, you know, service industry is a huge part of the sector, but uh, when I started off, the uh, legal and accounting professions were college industries, really. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, what did you see as some of the major
0: milestones in terms of building the firm over that time?
1: The, uh, the advent of computers, um, devolving management, or not, not, not completely devolving management, but instead of having partners worry about managing the firm, hiring a professional manager, uh-huh. a non lawyer, to, to run the firm, to run the day to day operations of the firm. Was that uh, quite uh, a novel thing at that time? That was about 1970 or 76. It was pretty novel. There Mm -hmm. would have only been uh, a handful of firms in Queensland anyway that did that. Computerisation, probably a couple of years after that, getting uh, getting the accounting system put up on computer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess all the things that flow from a more professional uh, approach to management such as budgeting, Mm -hmm. um, time recording. Um, and uh, I guess the approach to financing the business. Uh, the other, the other important thing we did was to take part in, uh, or to, well, uh, uh, yeah, to take part in uh, um, annual legal practice management uh, courses, which were then being run by Jeff Meredith out of the University of New England. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you had a group of probably 25 people like myself, would go down to Armidale for a week, and we'd have a very intensive week talking about a whole lot of aspects of legal practice, and uh, and compare notes with other people. And uh, I mean that, that 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 sort of practice uh, is still going on. It's obviously grown a lot. Uh, the number of people that are doing uh, consulting and management advice to legal firms mm-hmm. is you know very substantial now. Sure. That was pretty novel, uh, yeah.
0: Okay, and what about in terms of your own litigation practice? What were some of the more interesting things uh, that you've been involved with?
1: Uh, very hard to remember there have been so many of them. <laughs> but uh, I guess my first client base was insurance companies. I acted for a lot of very good insurance companies. And uh, after a number of years decided that I wanted to uh, do something different so I handed over those clients to, Younger partners and started a commercial litigation practice. Um, and again, after probably uh, seven or eight years, got out of that area and decided. 1988, I decided that uh, employment law uh, might be a good area and mm-hmm. industrial relations. And of course, that was that was, I think, the year that both the federal and state governments passed uh, brand new industrial relations legislation, which uh, keeps getting changed every time the government changes but it's been a huge growth area. Mm -hmm. I noted from uh, reading your uh, profile that you've been involved with the uh, Australian
0: Human Resources Institute Uh, and so obviously that was part of your move into that particular space? Yes
1: Richard, yeah.
0: Right, and and so what do you see as uh, some of the more innovative things that are happening in relation to that now uh, that employers would be interested to know about?
1: Well I think uh, in relation to industrial relations I think we've gone backwards in terms of uh, flexibility and uh, you know, the way the way the sort of things that uh, Paul Keating brought in I think uh, I think we've got a more rigid industrial system I, I think uh, I think the blames not uh, not one-sided I think uh, quite a few employees have failed to take advantage of opportunities to uh, uh, to improve thing, and flexibility and work practices and things like that, but uh, um, I, I do know, and it's, it, it's a pity, I do know that there's an awful lot of work out there now for IR practitioners and a lot of that is because of the way the system is, mm-hmm. has become so complex and complicated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And is Clayton, it's, uh, as a firm, uh, particularly renowned for their work in that space?
1: Pretty strong, we've got three uh, three partners in Brisbane in that area now. Okay. Um, so yes, I mean, probably would be, uh, if you listed any any five of the top national law firms, you'd put Clayton Yates in, right. in, the, in the top five in that area. Okay, um, interesting. And at what point uh, did you start to
0: have uh, a desire to uh, follow a board career and, and take some of the board roles that you took r- earlier on?
1: Well, when I was uh, managing partner of the firm in the mid-90s, I had a call from the, uh, from the treasurer's uh, chief of staff, I guess, saying, look, we're, we're splitting up the electricity industry, uh, we're reforming it, and uh, we want you to chair a, a one of the generator companies called CS Energy. Mm-hmm. So that really came out of the blue. Had you had
0: experience in that sector prior to that? Not
1: particularly, no, Okay. not particularly. Um, so that came out of the blue, I did that for three years. It was, uh, And then I went back to... Uh, well, I was managing partner as well during that term. Then I went back to practice, then a couple of years later I uh, I became managing partner uh, when Clayton Utes Brisbane merged financially with Clayton Utes and all the other states, so there was a merger to get through, or, I wasn't involved in planning the merger, but I was involved in executing it. Mm-hmm. so I had that role as managing partner for six years, and uh, at the end of that time i uh, I wanted to uh, I didn't want to keep going in the job and I had two three year terms. Uh, I could have gone for another year, but uh, I felt that that was probably enough for me and enough for the firm, so. I became a consultant and then I had some phone calls about board positions.
0: Right, mm. and I note that uh, uh, some of them government related, some of them uh, local government, Brisbane Marketing, uh, a very uh, well known and respected uh, industry uh, here obviously and also some in the in the private sector with Rolands and so on.
1: Yes, there was a mix. Um, Brisbane Marketing, Roland was a technology company. Uh, that a client owned that I uh, was on the board of for a little while. Um, yeah, one of the interesting ones, uh, I wasn't on the board, I, I was on an audit subcommittee, audit and risk subcommittee um, for a company called HASSAD Australia which is owned by the Qatari Sovereign Wealth Fund. Uh, I think I was on the audit committee there for five years. I resigned at the end of last year and, and they were spending a lot of money uh, in Australia requiring sheep and cattle properties. Okay, and they followed the Kidman strategy of uh, one property in Queensland, several in New South Wales, several in Victoria, several in South Australia, and then they bought two wheat properties in Western Australia.
0: and for from in terms of your own skill set, having worked as a lawyer and as a managing partner of the firm, moving now into a portfolio career, what were some of the things that you did to you know upskill and and make sure that you were Performing uh, the role of non-executive director to the best of your ability.
1: Well, there are plenty of uh, there are plenty of courses one can do, short courses or longer courses. Plenty of reading. Um, I guess it was a combination of uh, a little mm-hmm. bit of informal study and a fair bit of learning on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there are there are particular things you need to know about when you go to a board like governance and. Uh, Uh, Corporations Act and, and, you know, discrete uh, skill sets. But there are a lot of personal skills that uh, you look for in board members.
0: So what are the sort of things that uh, you would highlight as being important skills to be conscious of?
1: I think you need to be uh, emotionally intelligent you need to be able to read other people, you need to be able to understand how they perceive you or how they perceive a the discussion is going um, you obviously need to be intelligent too But uh, emotional intelligence I think is very important, I think you need to be resilient um, and I mean one of the good th- one of the things that, tr- that practice as a litigation lawyer skills you for is to be robust and, and able to able to handle crises mm-hmm. and uh, and catastrophic events or things that might turn catastrophic so um, I think lawyers probably underrate the amount they can contribute to a board they probably tend to look at, look at it simply in uh, in terms of particular legal areas of practice uh, that they've been in uh, but there are other things lawyers are very good at such as analyzing large uh, amounts of data and paper and facts and what people tell you and uh, sort of getting your head around an awful lot of information and, and 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 getting to the nub of what the thing's all about and then the then the analytical process of uh, looking at looking at what the options are where you're trying mm-hmm. to get to what what the options are what the what the factors involved in the whole decision process are and 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 also i think decision making It's very hard to be a good lawyer if you are unable to make your mind up. Mm -hmm. You've got to you've got to analyse something, make sure you've looked at everything that's relevant, analyse it in a logical way, uh, work out what the options are, then make a decision and be comfortable with it. And Mm -hmm. and certainly, I think legal training is very good for that. And what have you seen?
0: I mean. uh, chairman of CS Energy in '97, so basically 20 years ago. If you look at the way that boards have evolved over that 20-year period, from your own experience, what do you think of some of the major differences?
1: I think there are probably a lot more. Uh, there's a lot. Well, there's a lot more. Sophi- I think there are a lot more sophisticated board members around in the, in the business community. I think. Uh, We've seen, certainly seen a lot more uh, women come onto boards. Um, I think uh, I think probably there's a lot more sophistication about risk management. There's a lot more. Uh, there's a lot more recognition of of the reputational risk you mm-hmm. take on you take on when you go on a board. Mm-hmm. It's not just a matter of might you be personally liable and, and I mean in some boards, some boards, particularly government boards, the the risk of sort of monetary issues causing you personal personal problems as a director probably aren't nearly as high as they are in the private sector but the reputational risk is every bit as mm-hmm. every bit as dramatic and, and uh, I mean reputational risk for board members anyway these days is is a worry, and it's a an, you know it's a worry because partly because it's an unfair thing uh, with social media and uh, and the and the print media and the TV media, stories can get out of hand and uh, things can be misreported. Uh, you can be tried in the press very quickly mm-hmm. before the real the real facts are are sorted out.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, do you think and I. Uh, uh, I have people coming to talk to me all the time about wanting to move into a portfolio career and take board roles. But do you think that those issues around reputational risk and financial risk uh, are going to end up detracting quality people from wanting to pursue board roles?
1: I think there will be some cases of that. Uh, on the other hand, I think uh, people are wanting to uh, work longer. They're wanting to keep involved and active and interesting uh, occupations and I think uh, for somebody uh, who's been through an executive career and uh, and wants to uh, wants to change from that I think you know board roles are a very good uh, are a very good opportunity and there's clearly a big demand out there mm-hmm. uh, so it's a way of retaining some
0: good gray hair some good talent in the community but no longer in a full-time role yeah and
1: I think one of the uh, you know we talk a lot about uh, about generational change or ageing and all of those sorts of things. I do think another another thing that's terribly important for for board members is uh, is the sniff test, ability to knowing when something's not quite right. And, and mm-hmm. I don't know that's probably something that might be a little bit innate, but it, it's also experience, and it's it's just all the things you rub up against in a in a career, whether it's. A, Professional services career or a management career or whatever, but you get exposed to a whole lot of things, and um, and I think uh, I think longevity and experience heightens your ability to sort of suss out: Do we need to dive into this issue deeper? Is there something mm-hmm. we should be worried about? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And so, talking about Queensland Urban Utilities now, uh, you were mentioning I think that you've just. Uh, uh, been retained for a further three years as chair, is that correct? That's right. And as an organisation they're going through some really interesting um, uh, change and uh, modernisation and so on. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what's happening there?
1: Well Q is now six and a half years old and uh, it's very different from what it was six and a half years ago, which was a collection of five council water businesses brought together by state legislation and obviously, it had uh, it had a uh, very much public sector type, local government background, local government sort of flavour about it. It also reflected uh, the the different sort of uh, attitudes, perhaps, um, between Brisbane, Ipswich, and the three regional council areas, uh, Somerset blocky Valley and Scenic Rim, so there was a geographical uh, sort of split, and there was a there was a, a local government type of flavour and and working conditions and things like that. So I guess um, the big the big uh, the the big emphasis I suppose is has, today has been threefold. It's been uh, a huge focus on safety. That's our number one priority. Mm-hmm. We have people working in remote locations. Uh, Working in trenches, working with heavy equipment, working underground. Uh, Safety is the number one focus. Uh, there's been a big focus on um, changing the culture to a service culture. Mm-hmm. To uh, to uh, um, so I, I guess you could call the organisation at the moment a bit of a public-private hybrid. Okay. Um, it will change further. It, uh, I think it needs to change further in that regard, but it's. There's been a lot of change driven by uh, Louise Dudley, our CEO um, and, and you know, with the direction of the board. There's also been a, uh, uh, another focus on uh, um, commerciality. Um, we have some key commercial customers who are very important to the business. They not only take water, but they have uh, people like the breweries cola they produced a lot of waste mm. which is uh, which is something that uh, needs to be dealt with mm. um, so we have significant contracts with companies like that to uh, uh, to take their waste and in some cases to use it you know uh, use it effectively to improve our process our uh, our management processes, our sewage treatment processes. Okay. Um, so there's been a focus on commercial customers. There's been a focus on the development community because mm-hmm. obviously uh, you can't develop tracts of land or uh, uh, industrial estates and things like that without the water and sewage solutions. So we've worked very hard to get closer to that community and understand what their what their needs are to give them better service and so on.
0: And as a board of uh, uh, that kind of entity, how much of your role is looking at what's happening in the world in terms of best practice, and bringing those ideas back into QU uh, to adopt at a local level?
1: We we are. very keen on on uh, innovation. I know it's a hackneyed word, but we're uh, in the last couple of years we have budgeted for R&D. We've got a an innovation centre down at Luggage Point, where the uh, the main series treatment plant for Brisbane is. Um, it's the old original. It's a beautiful old heritage building. Uh, funnily enough, funny place to sort of think of a heritage building. Right. But, uh, it's an innovation centre. We're working in partnership with UQ there on. Uh, on a number of processes which we're trialling for, for, you know, bigger use on the network. Um, we've had people go overseas to conferences, uh, I guess the short answer is yes, we are looking at what's happening around the world. Um, we're members of the, uh, of WASA which is a water organisation in Australia which bench- benchmarks water utilities and uh, our CEO is a member of the board of WASA. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, there's there's a big focus operationally on, uh, well, on the operational aspects of water businesses here and around the world.
0: Well, I suppose water is a, a commodity that is, uh, you know, uh, coming into a lot of scrutiny in terms of the future of clean water for, you know, the uh, growing populations around the world and so on. I mean, it's, it's um, whilst you think of water as being sort of fairly generic, it's actually a pretty hot area to be working in, I imagine.
1: It's something that the community takes for granted. Um, it's uh, it's essential for life, <laughs> in, in the sense that we need we need to consume water and we need water to grow uh, to grow our food. Um, but the the water utilities are essential in providing water, but also in uh, in their public health. Um, Role of uh, of getting rid of waste, mm-hmm. and that's you know domestic waste from our homes, and it's not just uh, it's not just from toilets. It's all the solid, it's all the it's all the stormwater, um, it's all the runoff from the streets, and it's the commercial waste that comes out of factory processes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a big focus at the moment is on, on seeing what we call we've got a waste to resources strategy. Um extracting uh, the potential which is there it's it's got to be scaled up commercially, but the potential is certainly there to uh, extract useful uh, minerals from from waste um, including including uh, fertilizer mm-hmm. um, so uh and also. We've, uh, we use part of that waste um, process, uh, treating waste process to generate uh, electricity so that uh, um, I can't give you the exact figures but at, at our main serious treatment plants like Luggage Point at Oxley um, Methane I suppose to put, use the simplest term is is used to produce a certain amount of electricity, and of course right. we, we use solar too. But sure, so, so there's there's uh, technically or scientifically there's a lot of interesting aspects mm. of, of water treatment um, apart from you know the basic it's a public health role and it's a it's a part of life role.
0: Right, mm. it is interesting. Uh, I had a fellow by the name of Chris Murray on uh, the podcast a while ago who's the CEO of Geody- Geodynamics. They're a listed company and they're building power stations on predominantly animal processing uh, farms and so on where they're essentially using the methane, methane. from the waste yeah. uh, to power the uh, the plants and then putting um, energy back into the grid. So there's a lot of very interesting things happening in that space. Yeah. And so then how would you compare that to being chair of BDO? I imagine uh, you know, a very different type of business, a different kind of culture. Uh, you know, what are some of the obvious differences between chairing QU and, and chairing something like BDO?
1: Yeah, QUU has a lot of moving parts. It's, uh, it, it's more complicated than the public might think. And, uh, um, and I haven't mentioned the environment either. I mean, uh, I, I, my vision for QUU would be to see it rebadged and recognised as an environmental company because that's what it is. Okay. It, uh, it treats waste uh, to a high standard imposed by state government and uh, a lot of that waste, the bulk of that waste is uh, uh, cleaned the of water then going back into creeks and rivers and Wharton right. Bay um, and uh, I think there will come a time when when we will say uh, and I mean that waste is treated to a high standard you read, about, you read about some of the waste disposal that goes on in other states I don't want to really get into that but some of it doesn't sound too hot, the sort of things that happens on uh, on good beaches and that, but uh, the, the, the quality of, of effluent that goes back into the Brisbane River and Borden Bay is, is of a very high standard. It's obviously not potable water but it's, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's of a high standard. But the time will come uh, when we will have to stop doing that and mm-hmm. we'll have to find another use for that, which I think personally will involve recycling mm-hmm. uh, through uh, filters which can be done perfectly well. I think there will come a time when water is—it's uh, recognised as it is in other parts of the world that water gets recycled, waste gets recycled, gets pumped back into a dam, it sits at the bottom of the dam for 10 years and gets mixed up with everything else, mm-hmm. and, and then it's consumed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do—I mean, I do also. A, there are also environmental solutions for uh, or environmental uh, possibilities for uh, for that sort of uh, uh, non-potable water, which is. Uh, in new developments for you know creating lakes and and uh, vegetated areas and things like that, and uh, uh, I think that's a very exciting part of uh, part of the potential future for Kiwi. Mm. So yeah, it's interesting. It's uh, it's it's technical. It's engineering. It's infrastructure. It's obviously uh, it's it's a uh, big business financially. Uh, if you compare that to uh, a chartered accounting firm or a consulting firm, as BDO is, it's uh, it's got no hard assets or infrastructure. It's the people, and it's uh, it's people management. It's uh, uh, it's uh, I mean, professional service firms are facing a lot of. Uh, a lot of challenges from digital disruption, mm-hmm. competition, overseas competition, uh, smaller organisations using technology to scale up and compete. Um, but the, uh, the thing about the accounting slash consulting firms is that they probably know no boundaries. Um, you look at Pricewaterhouse, Waterhouse. I understand their annual revenue worldwide is about 35 billion. Mm-hmm. The uh, BDO worldwide is about 7 billion, which is, uh, if you can, uh, those sort of firms are way ahead in size to the uh, legal firms mm-hmm. around the world, um, and the areas of consulting that they are expanding into, and you know, have potential to expand into, are quite amazing. So why do you think
0: it is that they? Uh have a much greater footprint in terms of size and, and revenues and so on than the legal profession is it because the legal profession there's much more nuances at a local level that need to be considered versus accounting where practices
1: can be more universal well that 's probably part of it I mean order is audit wherever you go mm. uh, generally i mean it might be local there might be local rules, rules but the, uh, the audit is certainly something that can be uh, Done on a worldwide basis, and you can use technology on a world worldwide basis to uh, to uh, streamline the audit process. I'm not. I, I don't know the answer to that. It's, uh, uh, but it's certainly the case that I mean, why well, you've got very big law firms. The law firms in Australia, by world standards, are you know the big law firms are very big, but when you compare them to. Well, I'd say the biggest legal practice in Australia is probably still only about five hundred million in revenue, Mm -hmm. and I think Price Waterhouse, which is the biggest accounting firm in Australia, I think is is about one and a half billion. Right, so it's three times larger. Mm. Um, I guess lawyers are lawyers are restricted. Well. There's no reason why lawyers can't do what accountants have done and bolt on an accounting practice or a consulting practice. They've tended not to do that because uh, uh, they've been happy to uh, confine their activities to to Mm. pure legal areas. Mm -hmm. Do you think
0: also it might be uh, a bit of a cultural difference between the culture of the accounting profession versus the culture of the legal profession?
1: There are a lot of similarities, but but lawyers are different to accountants, Mm. there's
0: no question about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And less likely to want to uh, uh, join and and create these big mega corporations.
1: Yeah, but you can't, uh, I think it's, you can't reel anything out, that's for sure.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) And uh, and one of the things we haven't spoken about so far, but reading your profile I'm very interested in is uh, your uh, uh, interest in uh, your background in playing the piano, hmm. uh, so that's obviously a big part of your life as well. It has been,
1: yeah, from an early age. Uh, yeah, a few people have heard me in the old days playing in restaurants and bars right. after lunch, or okay, playing in the jazz band at the Brisbane Club, right? Hmm. Still, or no? oh yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. okay, yeah. with Nino DiMarco. with Nino, right. and Neil Roberts, okay. And, uh, People like that, yeah. Fantastic, and is it you've always had a, more of a passion towards jazz versus classical? No, yeah? it's guys. No,
1: look, I'm a classical pianist masquerading as a jazz. Right. I'm not really a jazz pianist, but I can I can play that sort of music. Okay. But, uh, no, my, my training and my background is all classical.
0: And and you reached a very high level in that regard.
1: Uh, well, I did, yeah, yeah. I studied at the conservatorium for about six years mm-hmm. with uh, with Max Olding, who uh, a lot of people around Brisbane would know.
0: And that was whilst working as well, as a lawyer? Yeah. Right, so always a hobby.
1: <coughs> always a hobby, yeah, and something I'm doing a lot of now, that I'm right. semi-retired.
0: Oh, good on here. Mm. Uh, it's interesting, again, I've had a lot of guests on the podcast, uh, Nino included, and it's amazing how many of them uh, have a strong musical uh, uh, interest or background. Um, uh, uh, what do you think are some of the skills that you learn as a musician that you've been able to apply in your professional career?
1: I never thought about it like that. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's a, I'm tempted to say none, none. Uh, right. Really, I don't. Yeah, I don't. mean, well, music's a great uh, playing musical instruments. Obviously, a great outlet. So it's mm-hmm. a great. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I've always. I've always been very keen on, uh, on the idea that if you work in a, well, wherever you work, but particularly if you work in a challenging sort of uh, environment, you need to get plenty of exercise. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, I think exercise is, is a tremendous antidote to stress and a great, a great thing for longevity. Uh, but I guess me, playing a musical instrument is a great source of release a lot of fun.
0: Mm. Mm. I'm a musician as well, oh, you're and, uh, I oh, yeah. studied at the conservatorium too, Well, wow. uh, guitarist, uh, jazz guitarist, okay. uh, mm-hmm. but uh, I wonder whether by having to learn a piece and having to have that disciplined concentration to learn a complex piece to the point where it is part of muscle memory yeah. and so you can then be thinking about uh, things beyond just getting the right notes in the right order. I, I wonder if that brings a discipline to business uh, that people who haven't done that don't, don't appreciate.
1: Yeah I suppose uh, uh, that's a good point I think Richard, it probably does and then uh, I, I get irritated when I hear people condemning road right learning and saying that it's a terrible thing to have to learn stuff by heart but I mean the reality is if you're going to be, if you're going to be a good sports person uh, if you're going to play a musical instrument, if you're going to be an actor, you've just got to learn stuff. Absolutely. And you sit there, you sit there with your instrument, and you just, you just play the same page over and over and over and over. Yeah. And uh, um, yeah, I think the other aspect is. Yeah, I've thought about this recently. The fact that, well, with the piano, you're playing with two hands, obviously, and they're independent of each other, and. Uh, it's a very interesting feeling to sort of uh, play, you're playing different notes and different different time, different rhythms at times Mm -hmm. with your two hands and it's mentally, and then you're conscious of something else outside all of that. That's right. Yeah, I I always found it easy to memorize music. Um, I do think that's something that helped me in business because uh, I was able, if I was hosting lunches, to school up on everybody around the table, up to 25 people, Right. and uh, get their CVs in my head and then yes. introduce them all without without reading anything and just go around the room. And people used to say, that's amazing, and I used to say, yeah, well, that does come from memorising music, but also, I uh, probably forgot it about an hour later. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah.
0: And so other than uh, playing piano, what are the sort of things that you enjoy when you're not at work?
1: Uh, we've lived in the bush at Sanford for about forty years. We've just built a new house out there, and okay. uh, I enjoy gardening, but I particularly enjoy planting trees. I like digging holes, planting trees, watering trees, sawing wood. So you don't have a lot of uh, grass to mow then. Uh, we let the neighbours' cattle come through a lot, most of our property, so okay. they take care of the grass. So right. We previously had a much bigger block, on five acres, and we had forty and. Uh, that was a bit of a problem to look after. Sure. But, uh, I really enjoy golf, uh, and uh, my wife's a keen golfer too. So.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: And when you look to the
0: future in terms of your own career, you know, what are what are the things that you're excited about doing potentially before you, you hang it up and call it a day?
1: I guess, uh, look I've been lucky, I've, I've never been on a board that, uh, somebody once said the definition of a dysfunctional board is, is one where if uh, somebody's speaking, somebody else or others roll their eyes, uh, I've never been on a board like that, I've always been surrounded by good people and decent people and good management teams. I guess uh, I'd, be, I'd be keen to just continue what I'm doing and uh, um, continue seeing the two organisations that I'm connected with uh, continue to do well on the people in them continue to do well. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, Jeff, uh, I really appreciate your time. I'm sure you've got a busy afternoon. So uh, thanks and uh, look forward to catching up again soon.
1: Thanks, Richard. Well,
0: thanks again for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I'm really looking forward to having you along for future episodes of the Arate podcast. And in the meantime, have a fantastic week.